I didn't realize how little money most small businesses make. Like, even if you're a million, two million in revenue, I, I see businesses at five and 10 million in revenue. And the business owners take home very little. And how little? Um, I There are some, I, I see business owners in the three to five million range. For, they're getting paid a hundred grand. Which, you know, if you've got a three to five million dollar business and you're working in it and, and you're only taking home a hundred grand, that's not that great, especially for the amount of capital, the amount of risk and so forth that, that you put into the business. Hello and welcome to The Modern Consultant. I'm your host, Mark Ahrens, and on today's episode, I have the pleasure of hosting Rocky Lalvani. Rocky is the founder of Profit Comes First, where he operates as a chief profitability officer in a fractional capacity for his private clients. Now, that's not just a catchy marketing title or slogan because he's actually weaving together four disparate backgrounds. His background in economics, his master's of business administration, uh, his profit first professional certification, as well as his chief financial officer certification as well. And on top of all of that, he brings in his deep understanding of behavioral psychology, which he honed from his background in also being a pharmaceutical sales representative. That's really cool because he's actually then able to advise his clients, not just on the back end numbers, but also he understands marketing, sales, and the entire customer journey. There's going to be a lot for us to cover in this episode. Everything from the behavioral psychology of finance to even the guilt and shame that we might experience as business owners when we're afraid to look at the numbers, as well as practical solutions as far as what we can be doing next to make sure that we are looking at numbers and architecting them in such a way to be able to grow our business in a sustainable way for years to come. Thank you for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you on the other side. Rocky, I just want to say welcome to The Modern Consultant. It is an honor to have you. Uh, We have known each other at this point now for, I think, maybe a decade. Uh, and it's 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 been my pleasure to see you through so many different stages of evolution and you know just both the personal side professional side and all the things and uh now that we're here i am excited to learn from you now the people who are listening in they have no idea who you are they may have heard the intro but if you had to describe who it is that you help and what you help them with. How'd you describe that? So thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here and have the conversation. I work with small business owners and by small business owners, we help people generally from startup to maybe 10 to 15 million in revenue. And what we do is we help them to understand the finances inside their business. I had a major aha moment. I assumed that when people went into business, they understood the business of business. And what I learned is that most people go into business to do what they love. 
and looking at the numbers and doing the accounting wasn't on the list. And so they struggle and it's normal. I have so much respect and like just empathy for what you do. Cause ultimately I am in the business of helping small businesses as well, but in a different area, you know, and something that no one who is listening into uh, will probably have context into is something that I also respect that you're amazing at, which is parenting. Like, more specifically, like I, 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 I've known Gita, uh, your daughter now for, I think just as long, <laughs> just seeing, uh, just the amazing relationship, uh, that, that you guys have. And so I'm curious if there were parents listening in and they wanted to be able to teach their children, uh, the principles of building wealth, generational wealth, and finance and all of this. Uh, what's been most helpful for you? And even what's been most surprising as you've been teaching your own kids? So I think the biggest problem is if you want to learn how to do something, you actually have to do it, right? I can read a yeah. hundred books on golf. I can watch the videos, but until I swing a club, I'm not going to learn to play golf. The same thing is true of money. So about the time our kids turned five, we started to give them money and give them the ability to manage and control it. Mm -hmm. And we set parameters. So the parameters are give, save, and um, spend. So you have buckets. We teach them then how to make good financial decisions. And essentially, you just stop giving them things. So rather than paying for everything, you say, here's your money, you manage it. If you want, you know, candy at the candy store, you have your own money. Let mm. And then we teach lessons of, okay, if you want candy, and we're at the convenience store, it costs X. If we go to the grocery store, it costs Y. If we go to Costco and you and your brother split it, it costs Z. Which of these numbers makes the most sense for you? You know, do you want to pay 50 cents a piece and get 50? Or do you want to pay $2 because you want at this moment and have a lot less? So what you're essentially teaching is delayed gratification mm. and just basic, hey, everything is a trade-off with money. And you've got to make trade-offs. And I think the reason most people struggle is they walk into Costco, they see a big screen TV, and they want it. But they don't realize there's a trade-off to that TV. And until you create trade-offs, understand that, and learn the power of compounding, um, it doesn't work. And But the way you do that is to give them money and teach the lessons and let them make all the mistakes they want. Because making a $5 mistake is a lot better than making a $50,000 mistake. That's incredible. Themes that I heard within that, you're teaching self-leadership, you know, allowing the space, giving the, 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 the time, resources, energy, and space for them to be able to, like you said, make those mistakes. Uh, and we, we learn best <laughs> when there's consequences <laughs> to our actions, uh, ultimately. Uh, so that's, that's incredible. And 
it's also this really cool segue uh, back into what you do uh, for small business owners, because it almost seems like there's all also this element of enabling better financial leadership uh, within companies through what you do. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so basically, I think business owners have one main problem. If they see money, they spend it, right? It's it's a human nature type of thing. We're always told you got to spend money to make money. I don't believe that's necessarily true. There's a hmm. lot of ways to make money without spending money. But until you wrap your mind around that and change the way you think, you are going to, to struggle with that. So everything I do, a lot of where the basis of what I do is based on the book Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. I'm a certified Profit First professional. But then we layer on top of that so many advanced techniques and so forth. The premise is everyone is told sales minus expenses equals profit, which makes profit a leftover, an afterthought. And for most business owners, they don't usually know if they're profitable until tax time where they go to their accountant and they say, you know, congratulations, you were profitable. You made X amount of money, which causes two questions. Where is that cash, right? Because profit doesn't equal cash. And how am I supposed to pay the tax bill? Because they didn't set money aside for an obligation they weren't sure about. And usually in the beginning of business, those tax bills are major, major surprises that, that cause a lot of heartache. Um, Profit first says it's sales minus profit equals expenses. And what you're doing is constraining expenses. It, it's all based on Parkinson's law, right? When you go on a diet, the first thing they tell you is get a smaller plate, right? If you have a smaller plate, you eat less. If I give you a smaller budget to spend in your business, you will spend less. You will become more resourceful with the funds that you have. And I think, for most business owners, they don't actually pencil out what their profits are going to look like, their cash flow. So they might undercharge for the market or their expenses might be higher than they expected. And those two things are usually what drive problems. But when they have awareness, they make much, much better decisions. The problem is most business owners don't have total awareness. You said so much, so many valuable things in so few words. And some of the things that I'm hearing are the need, uh, well, there's a need uh, for financial forecasting. Uh, there's also a need for visibility into historical performance uh, as well to be able to see what it is that's happening inside of the business. Uh, there's also a need for behavioral awareness as well, because the end of the day, all of the financial decisions are decisions and all decisions are rooted in human behavior. <laughs> and so <laughs> without an understanding of uh, one's own psychology, then we, not, we might not be able to insert a pause uh, between stimulus and response to be able to then architect our behavior change towards the you know, more helpful uh, financial decisions is what I'm hearing. I'm curious. How do you help them to see that? 
so a couple of things we do. What Profit First does is it immediately distributes the money to where it belongs. So just like when my kids were young and we gave them money, we gave them rules. Okay, when you get this money, this percentage or this dollar goes to charity. This percentage goes to savings and this percentage you can spend. So we do the same thing with the business owner. Every time a dollar comes into the business, we send it for its purpose. So if you're supposed to be profitable and your business plan says you've got 10% profit, well, we're going to take 10% and we're going to put it in a separate bank account and we're going to call it profit. If you're supposed to get paid and your pay is approximately 20% of your company's revenue, well, we're going to put 20% into that bucket and that account is going to be called your pay. And we've got to save for taxes. Your accountant can kind of tell you, hey, based on your business, you know, your tax rates and social security, Medicare, you might need maybe 20% to go for taxes. Well, now we put 20% to taxes, which leaves at the end 50% that you can actually spend in your business. And if you're spending more than 50%, well, the reality is you're taking it out of your pocket, either in your profit or your pay. And if you're wondering why you're working so hard and you've got nothing to show for it, it's because you spent it on expenses that you thought you needed that you never asked, will this provide a return on investment? Hmm. That is conceptually clear. And to make it even clearer for someone that might be listening in, I'm curious, could you say more about the common challenges uh, that business owners face at different stages of revenue? In their business. Yeah. I so I think in the beginning of a business, right? The business owner is doing everything. And at that point, more often than not, they have a pricing problem. They're afraid to charge what the market will bear. And part of that is they don't have a reputation, maybe yet. Part of it, they don't believe people will actually pay them that worth. And so it, it's a psychological and it's also just market acceptance and so forth. So a lot of times they're wearing every single hat in the business. And usually they're doing the hats that they love and they're ignoring the hats that they don't. More often they go into mm. a sales bust cycle. So they go out, they spend all their time getting their clients or they're selling the customer. Then they have to go deliver. And then while they're delivering, they forget to do the sales. And then they they go into this, you know, boom bust cycle constantly. Mm. Yeah. As you start to grow, they start to hire people. They start to build out their business. Now you start to get overhead. The question is, is can your business support the overhead? And I think too often we get overhead too quickly. So we start and we spend on things that don't matter. I need a fancy office building. I need a business card. I need a nice truck. I need great tool. What, whatever it is in your business, they start to, to do that. And I think anywhere from that, that struggle goes on anywhere from a couple hundred thousand all the way up to a few million dollars. Mm. 
um, because they're as they're growing, oh, we're, we're overwhelmed. We need to hire another employee. You start to lose productivity. If you don't have good systems and processes in place, things start to get out of your control. And so, you know, when you're small, little mistakes can get fixed. When you become larger, a small mistake turns into a large problem over multiple units that are going out there. Mm. So in the beginning, it's building out and testing good systems. It's creating a good sales system that is predictable and works. And a big part of it is the business owner letting go of their business mm. and, and letting somebody else step into roles, which is not easy to do. And the other problem is when you're a small business, you know, up and even at a million dollars, you can't always afford top talent. Yep. And so that becomes a massive struggle. How do I bring in the people who I need who will actually do the work? And that comes back to creating culture. Hmm. If you can create a good culture, you will attract great people because money isn't always the primary motive there. But a lot of it is just having that more of a mindset of there are, there can be better ways to do this than just throwing money at it. And I think too often we take the easy route, which is to throw money at a problem, in which case we usually overspend and it sets us back to the problem again. I, there's, ooh, there's, there's, there's many gems in there. There's a few of them that I want to underline and go deeper on the throwing money at a problem. You know, that's applicable to virtually any area of life. Uh, the bigger theme seems to be scaling inefficiencies inside of a system, you know, and it could be marketing inefficiency, sales inefficiency, people inefficiency as well. However, I can hear like some of the intermediate and advanced folks uh, listening to this and saying, but wait, I thought we needed to let go of some of the control by hiring people. But then at the same time, am I hiring too fast? How do we, how do we navigate that? So I think you need to create First and foremost, when you're hiring is be clear on what the person is going to do and then ask yourself, is that person good at that? Hmm. Um, is that the right person for the right job? In small businesses, things get messy, right? We, we, we're carrying different hats. That's part of it. B is setting expectations and measuring against them. So everyone should have a certain number or KPI or or some type of measurement that literally every week you can do thumbs up, thumbs down, mm. you know, from a simple thing. If we have a receptionist, right? These days people don't, but is is every phone call answered by the third ring? Are, are we doing that? Um, are there certain profit numbers? So, you know, if you're in the trades business, okay, I paid you for eight hours how many hours were you actually doing the work, the client site, delivering the material that you were supposed to? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a big part of what disappears. And then how good a job are you training the people to do their job? Or, or do you just say, figure it out, mm -hmm. which 
creates another big mess, right? Because if they're figuring it out, they're not doing it the way you wanted them to do it. And so creating all these systems and training, that's really hard to do when you're a half a million, a million dollar business, right? You're small. You, You don't have the resources to do everything. But at the end of the day, that's what you have to do. And you have to create and share that culture. Mm-hmm. And and I think too often we're we're putting out fires instead of building good systems. I agree. Again, you keep dropping gems and there's pieces that I want to dive into <laughs> uh, further. Uh, this is really good. Oh. One of them is... You know, one one of our, you know, shared mentors, um, you know, uh, Ramit Senti uh, would share like, don't try to be 40 before you're 40. Uh, and I think now that we're all older, that's a little less relevant for some of us. <laughs> 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 but the sentiment uh, behind the message is, you know, not trying to do more than you should be doing at whatever stage of growth. Um, you are in life um, or in business. And what I'm hearing within what you're sharing uh, is, again, hiring too fast, you know, but then also not having measures of success uh, for us to know on a weekly basis and then extrapolate that out to a monthly and quarterly basis uh, for us to know whether or not success um, is being created, which ultimately drives, you know, revenue and profitability and stuff inside of the business. With just even making many of the shifts in thinking and behavior that you're describing, I'm something that we spoke about before we hit the record button was how you help clients navigate um, the personal shame, guilt, and just the emotional side of making what could be really difficult decisions for them. Um, What have you found to be most helpful for raising awareness around that and then also guiding them to making those changes? So I think Ramit was the first person who helped me understand people's emotions with money. See, to me, I grew up understanding money and systems. So for me, it was just easy. I'm like, why can't more people do this? This is so simple. And I didn't realize all the emotional baggage and programming that went along with it. So if you think about the business owner, you know, they're they're programming and we all have programming from the time we're kids. And that's when most of our programming is built, which is funny because every time I read a psychology book, I'm like, oh, this is a parenting book. Hmm. Um, You know, these are the things that we screwed up or got screwed up as kids. So if you've got bad money behaviors that were taught to you as a kid, like classic one, you have to work hard to make money. Oh, yeah. Right? So if you have to work hard to make money, your business is going to be hard because Mm -hmm. you you can't fathom not working hard and making money. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And at the same point, you know, if you've got certain coming back to what we talked about pricing. If you've got issues of self-worth and that can't be worth that, but yet people are willing to pay dramatically for, for having help and so forth. 
I think taking the time to understand who you are as a person and what your programming is and challenging it. And mm. most people don't know that. Most mm. people don't know two things. The The biggest question people don't know the answer to is what do you want? <laughs> yes. People can't answer that. It yeah. blows my mind. And then just asking, what does money mean to you? And and how are you behaving around money? Because if you think rich people are evil and your business hits half a million, Ooh. you're going to start to self-sabotage. I agree. And what that brings up for me is it comes down to having awareness of what I call the Lego blocks that we use to make decisions, which are our values. And it's like, if we know what it is that we value, those are the things that we're just consistently moving towards uh, in life. And sometimes those values uh, can be helpful and harmful, but if we're not aware of what they are, then we don't even know um, the decision-making criteria we're using to guide our decisions, whether it comes to finance, money, health, uh, relationships, or whatever the case may be. And like you said, a lot of it um, is tied back to childhood and working through some of that stuff and being able to raise awareness around it. What has been, in your experience, one of the biggest breakthroughs on the personal side that you've seen like a client work through? Like, what was it and how did it happen? So you know, we're very unique in the way that we do things. When we have our first client call, we actually ask them about how they grew up and how they learned about money. Wow. Um, it is, it's one of the first things we talk about. Then the other thing we do is we define what do they want from their life mm. and what do they want out of their business? What are they looking for? How does their business life and their personal life kind of go together? Does it, is it incongruence? Mm. And these are the questions most people aren't asked. And, and I think that's the problem. A lot of times people try to, they're doing what somebody else told them that was good for what somebody else did, but it wasn't good for them. And so I think it's first and foremost, it's giving them the space to define what they want. And then usually when, one, when we look at numbers, numbers tell us a story so we can see how they've behaved or what's happened in their business. And then it's, it's asking the right questions for them to be able to, to understand that. And we've had a lot of business owners that have been in business for 10 plus years and have always struggled with paying themselves and being profitable. And because we put systems in place and we start teeny, like we literally start with 1% profit. And then we start to just shine the light and focus. How do we do things differently? And how do we improve our processes? Your business is a system. People run the system. So it's it's helping them to see where in the entire system is there a problem? Which one can we make the biggest impact on? And then just 
focusing on that and helping them to find the solutions. So they know what to do. It's just, you know, every day they get up and they got 10 things to do. The reality is seven or eight of them are probably not important. Mm. And if you if you help them figure out what are the one or two most important things to focus on next, and and that's what they do. And so that's what we help them to do. And a lot of times, a big part of what we do is give them the courage to raise prices, wow. especially with COVID, like, mm. you know, and inflation, like this has been major turmoil in the markets. We're coming out of it now, but during that period, I can't tell you how many people, especially in the building industry, got royally screwed because lumber went up five times overnight or, you know, shipping went up five times overnight. And if they weren't aware and if they weren't, they, you know, if you say to them, look, you're going to lose money if you do this, that finally gives them the courage to realize, okay, I have to do this or I'm in trouble. Yeah. And and so it's giving them the permission and the courage to do what they need to do. And that even includes employees. You start talking to them. Everyone's got that one employee they know they should let go of, but they just keep putting it off. So it's accountability and saying, okay, it's, you know, what are we going, what steps are we going to take? Giving them the tools to, to make those steps and giving them the questions to ask, to be able to say, all right. This is what you need to do. And it's it's also changing the perspective. You know, instead of going to the employee and saying, I'm, you're not doing your job, it's going to the employee and saying, hey, I have failed to tell you what we're measuring you on. So let me help you understand what, what we expect of you. And then you decide if that makes sense or doesn't make sense for you. Yeah, that's fantastic. Even in... The very specific, I, I don't know if everyone listening caught that, but the very specific uh, choice of language there, it it it, it underlines uh, accountability and ownership and, again, leadership. Because uh, as the leader, you're going to um, your staff, your employees, part-time contractors, whoever, uh, and saying, I didn't do the thing that I needed to do for you to be able to perform at your best, which I think is um, excellent because it's like, well, if they don't feel like they're being blamed, they're not going to have resistance um, to then <laughs> acting um, in a way that's ultimately going to be a win-win for everyone, you know, and it, it, it is definitely going to take one awareness, but also uh, some courage uh, to do that. Uh, but uh, I guess that comes back to the theme of delayed gratification, you know, where it's like you've got to be willing to make uh, sacrifices uh, in the short term to be able to have the long term wins. That's going to be best for everyone. The other thing that I'd like to dive into you, uh, dive into uh, here with you is you earlier in this conversation, you'd shared, you know, well, okay. Maybe you have a receptionist or maybe it's time for you to hire a receptionist and, and you're saying, well, maybe most people don't have receptionists. I would actually uh, say that for a lot of our listeners, they're ultimately operating um, remote businesses and teams and the equivalent for uh, that role might be a virtual assistant or an executive assistant. 
uh, that is in, uh, basically helping to control the flow of information in and out of the business to be able to protect the founder's time. And so I'd say that it's still very uh, relevant um, as well. And it also reminds me of one of our previous podcast uh, interviews uh, with Bouter, uh, the founder of DecisionVault.com. And he shared a reference. I think it was uh, Dan Martell's book on who to hire first. And like in that book, I believe the recommendation was instead of trying to hire another you, uh, hire for a, a administrative role that you might not be the expert at, at, you know, and I think another saying in this world is, you know, well, figure out what your $10 per hour tasks are so that you can focus on your $10,000 per hour tasks. Within the context of how you help people, is there a way that you help them to figure out what those $10,000 per hour tasks might be? We can work through that. I think a big part of it is A, to set a value on your time. Okay. And once you set a value on your time, and as a business owner, it should be a high number. Everything that can be outsourced below that number, you should quickly find ways to outsource. So, you know, classic example, if you're spending two hours a week doing bookkeeping, and your time's worth $500 an hour. Well, you just spent $1,000 on bookkeeping. Why don't you hire a bookkeeper for a couple hundred dollars a month and get out of what you hate doing? Because A, it'll be done better. It'll be done timely, right? And now you can go focus on the higher value tasks. So I think that's a big thing. It's not always easy to do with remote. What I mean by mm. that is I can't see the people. I can't see their inefficiencies. I see. Um, yeah. But if they take the time, and sometimes we'll do that exercise. We're like, hey, for the next week, I want you to lay out how you spent your time. I do that quarterly. Once a quarter, I go back through my entire calendar and I, I figure out where my time was spent and I analyze, was that good or was that bad? So I think for the business owner, they need to do the same thing. Where is your day going? Are you creating time blocks to do your most critical work? How are you managing all your tasks? So that comes back to task management, which a VA can help with um, and putting that all together. So there is another book. It's called The 12-Week Year. Are you familiar with it? I've heard of it. I have not read okay. it. Yeah. So the 12-week year is how to get more done in 12 weeks than most people do in a year. The underlying principle of the 12-week year is Parkinson's law, which is the same underlying principle of profit first. When you constrain yourself, you get stuff done. Like, And I know in the world, you find it. If you've got to get something done in an hour, it'll get done in an hour. But if you've got three weeks to do it, you, you know you'll ignore it for two weeks, six days, and 23 hours. Mm. And then at the last hour, you get it done. So it, it's learning how to do that and how to, how to time block, how to delegate, 
and how to sit down and actually, you just have to measure it. Everything should be measured because if you can't measure it, you don't know what's good, what's bad, what's acceptable um, and what's happening. So I think that's a big part. A business owner can look at their calendar and see what's going on and where their time and, and, and efforts are going in the same way we look at their finances to see what their money is doing. Those two things tell you everything about a person, whether it's professional or personal. Mm. Constraints actually give freedom is what I'm hearing, <laughs> which is yeah. counterintuitive. Uh, yeah, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Learning to say no to a lot. You know, you look at somebody like Warren Buffett or big, very successful people, they say no to a lot of stuff that too often I think we say yes to. And we are very easy to give away our time without protecting it. And I, I think that is a major issue. Another theme that I'm hearing within that is making opportunity costs visible. And, and I, I think that's something that you're very good at. And ultimately, it's something that you're helping uh, people to see. Uh, because again, it's, if, you, if you don't know the cost of what you're giving up, the pathway that you could be on, then you, you never um, have the feedback uh, necessary to then go after it. And it made me think of this morning, uh, I went to the gym and... Uh, for those who don't know, I live in Washington, DC and during rush hour, like you have to move your car or they will do it basically. And so I started going to the gym, uh, at like five, six o'clock and I have to be done by seven. Otherwise they're going to tow my car. <laughs> and so it's been this forcing function, uh, for me to make sure that, okay, fit the workout in, in the time allotted, and then don't dilly dally and like waste time in between sets and stuff like that, because otherwise I'm not going to have a car <laughs> when I uh, come back there. So yeah, constraints, uh, they, they, they can be, you know, use both the carrot and the stick uh, is what I'm hearing uh, to be able to architect uh, human behavior and ultimately get more results uh, that you're wanting in life. Question. What has been one of the most surprising discoveries um, to you about helping people implement profit first and beyond? I didn't realize how little money most small businesses make. Like, even if you're a million, two million in revenue, I, I see businesses at five and 10 million in revenue, and the business owners take home very little. How little and are you talking? How little? Yeah. Um, ranges. Totally fine. I there are some I, I see business owners in the three to five million range where they're getting paid a hundred grand. Hmm. Which, you know, if you've got a three to five million dollar business and you're working in it and, and you're only taking home a hundred grand, that's not that great, especially for the amount of capital, the amount of risk and so forth that that you put into the business. Um, and even at the $10 million level, like, and, and even going and we'll take it a step further because I've seen this story play out. You take your business from 10 million to a hundred million. And at the end of the day, you have less time and less money. Mm. 
And so I think you really have to be careful. Everyone is focused on the top line, which is vanity. We like to focus on the bottom line, which is sanity. And at the end of the day, <laughs> it's all about cash flow. So do you have cash? Like everyone's like, oh, I want to sell my product to Costco. Well, they don't realize if I'm going to put something into Costco, right? I have to go buy all the, the raw materials. I have to pay for the labor. And now I deliver it to Costco. And then Costco is not going to pay me for 120 days. Six, 60 days later, Costco says, we want another batch. So now I've got double my money out there and not a single penny came in the door. And when you look at that, if you haven't planned your cash flow, getting an order from Costco can bankrupt you. And Costco is very cognizant of making sure that the people it does business with can survive that. And, and, but most business owners don't think that way. They get excited in the moment of, I got this big order. And they don't realize what it's going to take to deliver it and how much cash is needed. And, and the big thing that I turn on is return of cash. So, you know, if I put money out there today, how long till we get it back? And can we survive in between that? themes within that that I'm hearing uh, being clear within oneself on what one's underlying values and priorities are it's like are we prioritizing brand recognition you know are we prioritizing reputation are we prioritizing a distant future big win you know that has a low probability of occurring um over uh medium term, even short term trackable cash that's going to be coming back um, as a result of whatever um, business decision um, or project or um, acquisition funnel that we're thinking about creating. The other piece within there is trying to figure out I think I lost it. If it comes back, it comes back. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I think too often people celebrate the sale. Yeah. I want to celebrate when the cash hits the bank mm. because mm. that's truly what matters mm -hmm. until the cash hits the bank. It's not done. And, mm. and especially for consultants, you know, build your billing and systems so that the cash hits the bank first. Yep. Right? Reverse engineer. Like when I reverse engineered my business, I know what my revenue is. It's predictable. I know when it's going to hit because we auto draft. Mm -hmm. Right? So I know what my, this way, I don't even have to worry about it. It's all automated and systematized. Um, and it, it makes it a lot easier. Whereas I see some clients, you know, somebody doesn't pay it can make a big hiccup into their business. So creating that process and that system out and you, thinking through it. That, yes. And you just memory jogged. You said one keyword in there that brought back uh, the other piece uh, that I wanted to ask you about. So thank you for that. Uh, which was the differences in challenges that we face 
and in service-based businesses, you know, not just consultants, but coaches um, as well versus e-commerce, you know, um, brick and mortar, you know, uh, what in your experience uh, do you see are some of the challenges that might be a little bit more unique um, to the financial structure uh, as well as challenges that service-based business owners might face? Um, so I think service-based business owners, their biggest issue is revenue generation, right? They go back and forth into, they get a client, they're serving their client, they're working on the work. Who's out doing the next lead gen? Yep. And and I think there is that seesaw, especially with those types of people. If you're very involved in delivering the work, then it's a matter of do you have a good system for generating leads and for keeping that flow going? Um, and that just takes time, especially in the beginning. It takes time to build that up and to be able to do that. And are you watching it and maintaining it? So when we look at a business, the entire business is, is a math equation. And then we can look at the math equation and see where the issues are or see where we can put leverage to get a better return. So simply put, we start with lead gen. How many leads do you have coming in? How many people are calling you, hitting your website, whatever it is, um, or booking a, you know, an intro call? Out of that, what percentage actually convert to clients, right? Now, once they convert to clients, what's the average sale? Now I can tell you your total revenue. Mm. Now, the other side of that is what are our costs? You know, do I have employees? Do I have actual cost of goods? What are all those factors in there, which then leads to profit, which then is, okay, when does the cash come in and how do you remove it from the business? I think a lot of people want to keep their cash in the business. We're like, businesses come and go. Remove as much cash from the business as you can, build other multiple streams of income so that if your business goes under because the world changed, like COVID happened or you got sick or, or technology changed your world, you at least can pivot to the next round hmm. and you can survive through that. So what I'm hearing, and I am not certified and profit first is that you're actually doing a lot more than profit first <laughs> because <laughs> profit first is is our it's our hook most business owners don't want to talk about these other things they don't even understand the words or the language around them and so if you start getting to all of this they just turn off what we find is when we talk about profit first, you give them what they want so you can give them what they need. And, and that's basically the way that we utilize profit first. Because if I look at that math equation and I have a client and they've got 100 leads coming in, but only 10 of them convert, mm -hmm. well, now I know we have a conversion problem. Yep. How do I fix the conversion problem? Is it mm -hmm. a sales problem? Is it a... Uh, oh, you are you paying too much for the wrong leads? Like, where is the problem in there? And figuring that out. So a lot of times everyone wants to throw money at it, but it's not 
doubling our leads to grow our business. It's actually figuring out why only one in 10 of our, our leads is turning into an actual client. Mm. If you can go from 10 to 50, you don't have to spend another dollar and you just five times your revenue. This is fantastic, and I have to share. I have to share this uh, piece of context because there's no way uh, anyone listening to this is is gonna have this uh, context. Um, for anyone that's listening in, uh, prior to all of this, uh, Rocky had a very successful career in pharmaceutical sales, uh, and <laughs> so like all of the stuff around, like all the concepts I'm hearing have a lot to do with customer acquisition modeling, um, and there's this. There's this amazing article on Wealthfront uh, by, I think his first name is like Andy, but basically he, there's this phrase that says, uh, CFO is responsible for understanding every, uh, knowing, uh, accounting for every single dollar in and out of the business. Whereas the chief growth officer is responsible for knowing how every single customer comes in and out of the business. And what I'm hearing is that you're actually starting <laughs> with a bit of like that chief growth officer role and architecting uh, the customer acquisition model and then mapping it all the way back down to revenue so that you can then get visibility um, on what's happening with the money to be able to then advise them uh, using data uh, on where the gaps and conversion gaps or offer gaps or, you know, business gaps more generally are so that they can architect the business. And in addition to doing that, you started at the very beginning by getting them clear on what their values are. So any downstream decisions that you help them with also help them move towards the ultimate vision that they have uh, for their life. Is that about right? That's it. I don't cool. know how we describe that in a nutshell to somebody <laughs> like that. That's been our biggest struggle is learning yeah. how to talk to business owners and overcome the emotions of the money mm. and the letting go. And because and a lot of the people who come to us, when they come to us, their finances are a mess. So essentially, you've got to get naked with us and say, this is the mistakes I've made. And, and for us, it's a no judgment zone. We understand that pretty much all business owners do this. It is a rarity for a business owner to be great with money and to make the right decisions up front. Hmm. Allowing space for humanity. That's incredible. Yeah. And the hardest part, I imagine, would be getting someone to make space for their own humanity. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. You have shared so much um, on this call. This has been a gift. This has been a treasure. And there's like two questions uh, that I always like to uh, start wrapping up with, which is if you could go back to give yourself advice on when you were just starting out um, as a profit first um, certified, you know, uh, professional, uh, is there anything that you do differently now, knowing everything that you know? Um, 
so I've been doing this for about four years. I I don't know that I would do anything differently. Okay. I I put a before I did that, I I think I spent seven years testing. <laughs> wow. Right? Looking for the right product market fit with my financial and my system skills. Where is that most valued? Picking the right partner. So picking profit first versus some other system. And then there is another system that we also use that that I have partnered with that helped me really define how to offer great customer delivery. My biggest thing through that whole process is, will it work? And can I build this business? And again, I went through a lot of those stages. In the beginning, we were charging a lot less than we do today. And and being pushed to constantly up the the pricing, go after bigger clients and and do all of that. So I think you have to grow into it a lot of times. At least for me, I had to grow into it. I really love that because it gives us the space to get better without overwhelming ourselves and thinking that we need to do it all at once, but we can make progress and we can get there if we're willing to put in the time. And then uh, we can be, you know, a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> and I think that's what most people forget. It's a 10 year overnight success. People underestimate how long it takes to start and get a business going. I think for for most businesses, we start to tell people, and I was told this up front, it's probably going to take you three years to build your business. I did it faster, but we plan the finances that I could run my business and do this and and still survive financially. Because if you're not surviving financially and you're struggling at home with money, you're, it's going to come out in desperation. Yeah. And nobody wants to do business with a desperate person. Absolutely. That right there. If there, if there was ever a take-home message, that would, that would be it. The final question, which I know some people listening to this will be uh, asking in their heads right now, which is, where can we find out more about you? Oh, before they do that, can I ask them to do me a favor? Oh, please. So if you enjoy what Mark does here, if you get value, there's a little like button wherever you're listening. Can you hit the little like button? Awesome. Maybe leave a review or better yet, go who amongst my friends should listen to this episode or any other episode, go ahead and share it with them. So I, I would appreciate if they do that first. Awesome. After that, you want to come find me. Uh, our website is Profit Comes First. I have two podcasts. One focuses on the money side for business owners. That's Profit Answer Man. And then the other one is called Richer Soul. It's living a life on purpose. It's it, We talk to people who build wealth but haven't found happiness. So how do mm. we become a better leader? How do we live life and enjoy all of those things? Love it. Uh, again, Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to maybe hosting you for another one if you're open to it. Always open the chatting with you. Thank you, man.